Eleanor, bestie, mayhaps the existential dread is just getting to me, but I've been thinking a lot about my legacy. When I die, what am I going to be remembered for? The number of Game of Thrones jokes I could make that you won't understand. <laughs> literally painting me in the bowels of my being. But that's something I actually think about as well. I feel like maybe we have an interesting perspective because we're content creators mm-hmm. and there's this, you know, like there's the old adage that the internet is forever. But as two people who toss up a lot of content that sometimes we consider art and sometimes we just consider entertainment, that's something I've considered. Like, will anything that we've done be remembered? And also, should it? Like, should the minion live on? That's maybe a moral (laughs) question for another day. The moral question of the minion is not one we can certainly unpack today. And I know it's grim. I'm sorry to be a Debbie Downer on the pod, but I was thinking about this because I read a really silly story, I guess, that got me thinking a little bit deeper than I expected. It's the story of the lost media of Gitas and the land of Ta. This one is weird, and it has a particularly weird ending. This is the story of this guy who found an enamel pin of a cartoon character named Gitas, and everybody seemed to remember this character, which, you know, like normal stuff, I don't know. It kind mm-hmm. of, in my head, as soon as I heard about this, it reminded me of like Muzzy. <laughs> Did you ever Muzzy? Have, like, Did Wait, you ever have to, or I guess, get the privilege of learning languages via Muzzy in school? No. No, well, he's an icon. Maybe Muzzy is a Gitas. Maybe I just (laughs) made him up in my head. Um, The only reason we are talking about this is because Gitas, though remembered by the masses, potentially never existed. The guy who found the enamel pin eventually went down a rabbit hole that took him to discovering the uncredited creator of Gitas. Now, the only reason I'm talking about the headspace that this story put me in is because the person who created Gitas is someone who's created a startling amount of art that we see in our day-to-day life without ever thinking about this individual in particular. Ah, scary, scary thoughts. But back to Gitas. Until this story went viral, nobody ever talked about this guy, this artist at all. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be the, the tagline of the podcast. Back to Gitas, at least today's <laughs> episode. But yeah, like speaking of legacy, essentially when he stopped creating and because he wasn't a public figure, people just didn't really talk about him. I know we've gotten off to a bit of an overwhelmingly existential start, but I do think that today's episode as an investigation into Gitas and the Land of Ta is kind of a way to honor this artist, to keep his work alive. That sounds amazing. I am a lover of art. I am a respecter <laughs> of artists. And Gitas is like high art if I've ever seen it. <laughs> Let's do it. Gitas the camp. <laughs> Welcome to Internet Urban Legends, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Loey, your friendly neighborhood true believer, ready to put my Gitas pin on, baby. Let's become fangirls for the day, which truly is one of the things that Eleanor and I do best. <laughs> and I am Eleanor, newly coined Gitas aficionado. I feel like Gitas is, though not a cryptid, high up in the list of contenders for most iconic characters we've ever discussed on this podcast. 
You are so, so right. More right than anybody at home knows yet. Together, we are the Gruesome Twosome, and this is Internet Urban Legends, where we dive deep into the darkest corners of the internet. We might find the answers we're looking for. We might scare ourselves into staying up all night. But one thing is for sure, I think today we have to rename ourselves like the the Gitas Gang or something. Gitas Gang. Because oh my god. Gitas is the star of today's show. I'm so excited. <laughs> Gitas really is. You know, you and I, L, have a bit of an affinity for all things sort of nostalgic and kind of like lost to time, whether it's animatronics or lost media. We always, I think, find ourselves in some kind of discussion about just, I don't know, like nostalgia in general. We are, honestly, like, maybe it's really well-intentioned Peter Pan syndrome, but we do (laughs) love ourselves some nostalgia. I always circle back to us watching, I am embarrassed to even think about how many videos of forgotten animatronics during COVID. Yep. What a fixation. I mean, that's really underselling it. (laughs) (laughs) It would be like people would come from out of state, basically. Like, in 2020, we would be, like, having our friends come to visit us. And it would be this whole thing. Everyone was quarantining. We were all preparing for visits with friends. And we would get them to our little apartment in Virginia. And then we would make them watch forgotten animatronic videos with us. And you know what? I can see Gitas becoming the new fixation of the moment. Perhaps it is Gitas into 2023. So what is Gitas? Who is Gitas? I mean, that's really what all the big publications are asking. In 2017, comedian Nate Fernald found a pin on eBay featuring a furry Bigfoot-type creature with the word Gitas underneath. So he just finds this, like, cryptid-looking thing, and all it says is Gitas. Ominous. It is. It's ominous. Or it's, like, really exciting. (laughs) See, if I found that, I would just be like, oh, that's, like, the German word for Bigfoot. You know what I mean? (laughs) We are practical, but potentially our imagination is small because I kind of agree with you. I don't know if I would dive any deeper. Well, apparently Nate had quite the affinity for Gitas. He had green eyes and a huge smile with four legs. The front legs are longer than the back legs, and he's kind of like in a sitting position, sort of like a little bear. He kind of looks like a little Ewok, I'm going to be honest. He's actually, he's quite cute. He's really charming. He's honestly a handsome little guy and very friend-shaped. So Nate sees this. He's like, wow, what a specimen. But he also thinks it's kind of funny. So he buys it on eBay. And then he turned to Google to figure out more about this character that he was pretty unfamiliar with. Unfortunately, and somehow I think surprisingly to him, he came up entirely empty-handed. Nothing about Gitas online. No articles, no reruns of a show, no nothing. So he contacted the seller of the pen to see if they knew anything more about Gitas, but they didn't really know anything either. Nate is obsessed, as he should be. He's diving (laughs) down a rabbit hole. He's like, I must know more about Gitas. And I kind of love that about him. Nate, honestly, unsung hero of this episode because he really paved the way for us to even talk about Gitas today. So he's going through the internet, and he finds three more copies of the Gitas pin. He reached out to the sellers of each one and got no information on Gitas. So then he does what any reasonable person would do. He turns to Twitter, obviously. 
obviously. And Nate says, and I quote in all caps, what the fuck is Gidas? Google has no answers. Incredible question, incredible question. And nobody seemed to know the answer. But to like everyone who saw the pin, there was like this weird, uncanny feeling of familiarity. Like Gidas was some kind of a half forgotten character from childhood. Many people swore that they remembered seeing Gidas from being a kid, but didn't have any specific memories to it. When you saw our furry friend, Gidas, were you like that? Something I remembered? Because weirdly enough, Mm-hmm. I kind of did. I, really? You know, I knew a little bit. I, I knew a little bit about Gidas because this mm-hmm. was an episode we were going to do on the pod. So I went into it a little bit skeptical, but he kind of looks like a Moomin character or something. Mm. So I can definitely see why people thought he looked familiar. Did you have that experience? I didn't have that experience, but I did look at him and think to myself, he kind of looks like the creature on the cover of Where the Wild Things Are. So I think that I felt a little familiar in that aspect. But other than that, I was just like, aw, little friend. That's <laughs> that's a good comp. I, yeah, I see it. <laughs> now, nothing really came out of this tweet until Nate like follows up and he's like, listen, I am obsessed with this creature. <laughs> My Gidas collection is growing. Please, somebody help me. So finally, somebody on Twitter, because you're always going to find somebody on Twitter, points him to a picture that they found of a sheet of stickers. And this sheet of stickers has an even more detailed Gidas illustration. It's like Gidas in HD, which is obviously thrilling. Mm-hmm. We're getting an even deeper peek into the land of Gidas. And and the land of Ta, that is what this sticker sheet is labeled. And in the land of Ta, there are all these other characters. So the sticker sheet was originally posted on a Flickr. If you guys remember Flickr, I don't know. <laughs> is Flickr still around? Is that like an archaic site nowadays? I don't know. I feel like yes, but also like Flickr will withstand the test of time. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it'll never die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So this was originally posted on a Flickr of a random collector who also had no idea what Gidas was. It's crazy how many people were in possession of Gidas and uh-huh. had no idea what gems they had. Again, this sticker sheet featured an assortment of characters. So on top of Gidas, the icon, you have Harry, who is this like bald, red little troll and he has a snake <laughs> with an eagle head. So a lot going on with Harry. Honestly, Gidas is the blueprint and he's also like kind of the <laughs> simplest design. The rest of them are a little bonkers. You have Tokar, who is this golden robot. He kind of gives like C-3PO vibes, but a little bit more nefarious perhaps. You have Iggy, who's this like little goblin soldier thing they're all super creative honestly and like if you look them up i personally was impressed i found them intriguing mm-hmm. no they're kind of like they're kind of cool and honestly do love gitas he is the topic of today's episode but gitas walked so takar could run you know what i mean i i have to agree i literally have to agree <laughs> So after Nate posted the stickers to his Facebook page, a couple of other sticker sheets that may or may not be from the exact same series popped up. And essentially, people are just like kind of, I think, getting to the bottom of where this 
lost media is from. And this happens a lot. There's like an entire lost media community. We've talked about some of these things on the podcast before, like the evil farming game, which, you know, doesn't necessarily have like a conclusion behind it. It might just be a creepypasta. But we've talked about other things like this on the show. And this community just like they're they're wild. I swear to God, if I ever go missing, please get the lost media community behind the case because they can (laughs) find anything. That's like an existential quest. Like if you went missing as a human being, mm-hmm. could the lost media community investigate the missing media of Loie Lane? I are those separate? Fully are believe. they the same? Are you one <laughs> entity? Ah. Oh no. Oh dear. Oh God. Okay. Can't start thinking about that. Back to Gitas. Well, actually, we're going to be talking about the women of Ta because, again, Nate is coming across more and more sticker sheets, and they seem like they could be related to the Gita saga. So one of these sticker sheets is labeled the women of Ta, and this features busty female warrior monsters, queens, slay, and it also had familiar and similar branding to the land of Ta. The art style was a bit different, but the name and the company making these sticker sheets were the same. According to the small print on the sticker sheets, the Land of Ta stickers were created in the early 1980s by the Denison Company, which today is known as Avery Denison. Back in the early 80s, they produced a variety of stickers, ranging from sheets of zoo animals to those old Christmas sticker sheets that they used to sell in malls back in the 90s, if y'all remember that. All of this seemed to point to the Land of Ta being some kind of lost or forgotten fantasy franchise. And for a while, this is where our story seemed to end, but this is Internet Urban Legend, so obviously that's not where we end here. A community of over 16,000 people popped up on the Gita subreddit, which I find amazing. That's like quite a large group of people Mm -hmm. who were equally intrigued by this little sticker. But unfortunately, there were very few leads there. Sometimes there would be Gitas merch that would pop up on the subreddit, which was always an exciting day, but there were never any like new leads. There was never any new info on what Gitas could be or like where exactly he came from. So again, this is the internet. Obviously, people theorized about the land of Gitas, the land of Ta, those like busty women that Gitas is interacting with. Like what is going on there? So theories ranged from I think this is probably the most practical theory that popped up at the time for the information that they had. Mm -hmm. People in the subreddit assumed that potentially this was like merchandise for a canceled TV show or something or like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, a canceled animated show. But obviously there was a tinfoil hat theory as well. I say tinfoil hat, but it's not that, not that tinfoil because mm-hmm. we talk about dun, 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 the Mandela effect all the time. That is right. This is potentially an example of the Mandela effect people thought. So we've talked about the Mandela effect here on the mm-hmm. podcast before. And it's, I would say, would you say it's like one of the, f- maybe our generation's most popular conspiracy theory? Would you say that's accurate? I think that's actually a really accurate take. Yes, I do think it's like our, specifically like millennials. I think that it's like our most popular conspiracy theory and is so deeply rooted in like the idea of nostalgia, which for some reason millennials just like exist in. Oh, we eat it up. Honestly, (laughs) like we literally eat it up. That and like 9-11 conspiracies, but Mm. those are controversial, obviously, and quite varied. For some reason, there isn't much pushback on the Mandela effect. Yeah. Weirdly enough, I feel like most people I encounter are like, yeah, 
that that could make sense. It's crazy. Uh, so if you don't know what the Mandela effect is, I really envy you and I envy your life. And I'm also <laughs> about to ruin it. So the Mandela effect is this idea that people in this timeline have the collective memories of something happening in another timeline. So the biggest example is the namesake of the theory, this idea that thousands and thousands of people remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison, which is something that very much did not happen. Mm -hmm. And the idea is like, maybe this is something that happened in an alternate timeline that people are, you know, remembering now. So again, the Mandela effect is super popular. You've probably heard like the Berenstain, Berenstain bear theory, one in the same. Have you ever experienced the Mandela effect, Chloe? Yes. Has any of them ever like hit you? Yes. Tell me more. And I'm so curious what yours is because we've talked about Mm -hmm. a bit. We are only like three years apart in age, like three and a half. But sometimes I feel like the media that we consumed is so different because of that age gap. That's true. And I say this, and it wasn't even media that was my biggest Mandela effect. It was Chick-fil-A. I grew (gasps) up in the South. I grew up in Georgia. I grew up in Georgia. I looked at Chick-fil-A's on like an hourly freaking basis. I lived on a farm in rural Georgia that supplied 70% of the chicken for Chick-fil-A's all throughout Georgia. Chick-fil-A was spelled C-H-I-K. Chick-fil-A. There was never a C. There was never a C. It was spelled chick. And then it's weird because people online, this is like a common Mandela effect. And I remember seeing Chick-fil-A spelled properly, like the word chick. And I was like, huh, did they rebrand? I thought it was like a KFC moment. Honestly, I actually agree with you on that one. I felt very similarly, but then I'm also like, I'm just a terrible speller. I do not be smart. I'm like sitting here saying it was Chick-fil-A with a K. And I literally was like eight. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I think mine, and this is still, I'm like, I don't know if this is the Mandela effect or like just insane Mm. marketing or what it is. But the fact that Cheez-Its are just called Cheez-It, like the box is just Cheez-It. You know how like Ritz bits or like, I don't know, literally any like kind of chip. Like Tostitos. I don't know. It's always plural. If you look up Cheez-Its, it's just Cheez-It. The box just says Cheez-It. And I'm like, could could this have always been the case? Because it's such an absurd choice. I'm like, how did how did Cheez-It blow up and take over the world? I can't even say Cheez-Its. It's incorrect grammatically. I'm so upset. I ate like an entire bowl of Cheez-Its last night after I took a little edible. I literally just ate my weight in cheese. Cheez-It. Cheez-It. I was going to say, dare no. not you say Cheez-Its. That's Is that wrong. not so disturbing? I'm uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to this. <laughs> Can you tell we're hungry? <laughs> Literally. Oh, my gosh. I am starving. It is. Um, I can't even say it's early in the morning. It's 1.30. Shows the state of mind I am in. So, Gidas momentarily became sort of the poster child for the Mandela effect. At one point in 2019, a post about Gidas was actually the top thread on the Mandela effect subreddit. And it was in this thread that a Redditor finally found the big break that would crack the Gidas case wide open. Of course, it was a Redditor. You know, all Mm -hmm. things that start on Twitter end on Reddit, for better or for worse. I think that if you described the world as that exact sentence, it just is true for everything. Yeah, period. Up next, we'll be talking all about the unlocked mysteries of Gitas and the land of Ta and what they mean for the internet at large. 
greed, revenge, lust. Murder investigations often pinpoint why someone has been killed, but not necessarily who did the killing. Every Tuesday on Unsolved Murders, meet the victims, suspects, and investigators of the most notorious criminal cases in history. Part dramatic podcast, part old-time radio show, Unsolved Murders transports you to the scene of a crime, its ensuing investigation, and every attempt to solve the case. You'll soon discover that the murder isn't always the most shocking part of the story. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Unsolved Murders. Listen free only on Spotify. So taking y'all back, we're still in the year 2019, okay? COVID is not even a thought on anyone's mind. Eleanor and I were daydreaming up the concept for this very podcast and going to Las Vegas. And all the while, Yidis is out there in the wild. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, I really felt like I needed to like enjoy He it. was. He was. He, he was really there. Oh, he was there. Just narrowly evading capture. <laughs> he was in Vegas with us, actually, like just like sulking around our room. That would be the most plausible explanation for our Vegas escapades. So we're still in the year 2019, and on the Mandela Effect subreddit, a Redditor named Rowdy Wrongdoer <laughs> learned that there was an archive of old Denison products at the Framingham History Center in Framingham, Massachusetts. Now, Rowdy Wrongdoer, which honestly might become my alter ego, Rowdy Wrongdoer, Rowdy Wrongdoer. I just assumed this was you. It kind of is. Now, this might be my alter ego, but Rowdy Wrongdoer on Reddit is actually named Clint. So Clint reaches out to the Framingham History Center in Framingham, Massachusetts via email. And he's like, hey, we've got a mystery on our hands. And surprisingly, at least I think, he receives a response. Clint was given a catalog featuring the Gitas sticker sheet, and he posted his findings. Around this time, the hosts of the podcast, Endless Thread, discovered Clint's find and realized they were only about 40 to 60 minutes away from the center. So they contacted Clint and decided to head to the Framingham History Center, where they discovered not only sticker sets, but general information on who was working at Denison at the time. So the podcast hosts and Clint decided to just start making cold calls, baby. They're going to get to the bottom of this. And they started their investigation by asking Lou DeMauro, the former general manager of Denison, if he knew anything about Gitas and the Land of Ta. Unfortunately, he didn't remember the Land of Ta sticker specifically. And none of his former Denison colleagues did either. Spooky. I think it's an open and shut Mandela effect. <laughs> you almost had me convinced with that delivery. Like, I'm I'm really sad to break your heart here, oh, Loie. no. But I do think the next part of this story disproves that and is, in a way, even funnier. So, in the middle of the interview, Lou starts talking about a co-worker who was, like, constantly trying to figure out ways of making money on the side. And he says something interesting. He says, quote, I'm laughing because it's absurd. He says... <laughs> We were rolling in the Gitas at that time. Oh my God. I literally <laughs> am about to start replacing all of my lingo with the word Gitas. Gitas is just a stand in for literally any mm -hmm. word in the English language. So the podcast hosts stop him and they're like, What did you just say? 
did you just say the name of our Lord and Savior, Gidas? <laughs> and they ask him to explain himself. Lou is like, what do you mean? I just had this coworker who used Gidas as a slang term for money. And obviously, this was huge. This was like a big break in the case. So the Endless Thread podcast crew contacted this coworker of Lou's, who pointed the crew to another man named Sam Petrucci, who had a similar art style to what was seen in the sticker sets. Obviously, they knew they were like inches away mm -hmm. from solving this case, but... So good news and bad news would follow this discovery. The good news is that they found Sam Petrucci online. The bad news is that they found him through his obituary. Sam had unfortunately died in 2013, but he left behind five children. So the host started making some cold calls to the family. Can you even imagine? You get a call one day and it's like, hey, I think I found your dad's art and it's potentially like this viral internet sensation. And nobody knows what it is. Literally only on the internet. Only on only the web, baby. Only on the internet. Now, one of the hosts had talked to all five children on the phone, but it was the daughter, Linda, of Sam Petrucci, who had the most interesting answers. She said that the Land of Ta characters did sound like something her dad may have worked on, but she wasn't sure. So the host sent her a picture of these stickers, and they didn't hear back for a few days. They were like, oh, no. Oh no, oh dear, not another standstill. Please, for the love of God, just give us Gidas. <laughs> and I have to imagine that's exactly verbatim what they were thinking. But luckily, they finally got a response from Linda that read, yes, my dad definitely did those stickers and I have the original artwork. Linda had found miraculously the original pencil sketches by Sam of Gidas and the Land of Ta. Linda even said, and I quote, I was around at his office when he was working on these things, and I definitely remember them. At the same time he was doing those stickers, he was doing some work for hire for another company in Massachusetts. They were these rubbed down picture transfers of some Dungeons and Dragons characters. So they're all kind of the same family. So case open, case actually like wide open. We have the original sketches. We have Gidas as at, at the time of his birth. We have Gidas. Our Lord and Savior. Fetus Gidas. <laughs> We've got him. <laughs> right? So the podcast hosts, they were like, we can't miss the opportunity to see this. And they decide to travel all the way to the family's house and meet with Linda, who guided them into her father's studio, which at this point is like a sacred place for uh -huh. Gidas lovers, right? Holy ground. So, Literally, no, it's like a pilgrimage. <laughs> <laughs> so sure enough, there it was, all the original artwork for the land of Ta. But even more interestingly, there was a whole lot of Sam Petrucci's other art. Now, Sam was not just like a one-off Dungeons and Dragons fan art artist, okay? He had done everything from the original G.I. Joe box designs to the TJ Maxx logo that's still being used today, to the Panda logo that the WWF uses, obviously not the wrestlers, <laughs> the Wildlife Foundation. So not only did Sam Petrucci create Gitas, who is an icon in and of his own right, but he also created a ton of artwork that, as we mentioned at the top, you can see like in your daily life, which is absolutely insane. 
Now, with this mystery solved, the podcast host decided to finally circle back to our original character in the story, Nate Fernald. Remember, the comedian, okay? Oh my god, Nate, who literally blew this all over. Nate and his trillions of pins. Yes, (laughs) that Nate, the icon himself. He, you know, I understand this of Nate. When you have a fixation, it's like when you're you're obsessed with the show Mm -hmm. and the finale episode is coming and you know it's coming and it's like you want nothing more, right? You want to figure out how it ends. I never watched Lost, but I imagine this is how it was like for Lost fans. All right. This is certainly how it was like for me on Game of Thrones. But when you get there, it's like, oh, you feel unfulfilled, right? Like it's never as good as you want. And like, even if it is, you're just hit with this post-fixation depression. So Nate expressed a, a nervousness, an apprehension about getting the call because, quote, if it gets solved in front of my eyes today, I might just evaporate. I spent my whole life, the last two years, so my whole life, (laughs) searching for this. And now, what do I do with my time? Do I read a book? Do I talk to my family? Both of those sound just miserable, I'm sure, to old Nate. So, the podcast host told him, we found the Geed Father. Now, personally, I don't like this name for Geedus. I don't think he's giving Geed Father energy. He's more of a fetus Geedus to me. Fetus Geedus. But I respect the title nonetheless. And despite the existential crisis that Nate promised he might potentially encounter, he was actually thrilled. It had been two long years that he had dedicated his life to this mystery, and he was glad to know where this character actually came from and who Gitas was. I fully understand the post-hyperfixation come down. You know what I mean? Like when you finally finish a book series or a movie or like, yeah, like what do you do with your time? Live? Go outside? Oh my God, what's the point? The grass is barely touchable out there, bestie. Like, things are bleak. It certainly is not greener. It certainly is not greener outside of Game of Thrones. It's not. (laughs) So, the end, right? Well, if you remember from the beginning, the story all started with Nate finding a pin of Gidus, not a bunch of sticker sets. And so, there are still a few mysteries left to unfold. Mystery number one. If Gidus in the Land of Ta never really existed outside of just a brief run of fun, weird stickers, who made the original enamel pin? Employees from Denison confirmed that they never made, like, enamel pins. Plus, creating these custom enamel pins in the 80s wasn't exactly as easy as it would be today. That means that potentially somebody mass-produced them. But who? And mystery number two, why did Sam make Gidus in the Land of Ta? We know that at the time that he was making these designs, he was also working on Dungeons and Dragons stickers. But of course, these are not actually D&D characters. They're unique, original characters that Sam Petrucci created. Only a few people from Denison remember Sam even making these characters. None of them remember why or what the plan was. And not even his family knows the point. Like, this was not like some lore passed through the family, which does, in fact, devastate me. It's so sad. And that leads me to the third and maybe strangest part of this mystery. Nobody knows who made the Women of Ta sticker set with the busty lady monsters. Linda Petrucci claimed in a Reddit AMA that the Women of Ta sticker set basically, like, this did not look like something her dad would design. And I fully understand why, like, his actual daughter was like, no, my dad was not out here, like, designing, like, really busty monster ladies. (laughs) Maybe I'll take credit for them. Honestly, slay to who did. 
slay to who did. Slay, hard slay. So she thinks that finding out who did the Women of Ta, like stickers, like the th- this additional sticker set, could crack the case on all of these mysteries still surrounding Gitas and the land of Ta. Now, here at the end of the episode, why do we think the land of Ta originally came to be? If it wasn't like an actual project Sam Petrucci was working on and this all came from his noggin, like what was the plan here? It is interesting for something to launch with merchandise like these stickers and no show or anything to back them up. I mean, did I write Glee fan fiction? Mm, mm -hmm. Did I write Harry Potter fan fiction? As a middle schooler, yes, I did. And did I also draw American Idol fan art? Mm -hmm. I sure did. Did I have any intentions to mass produce them? No, I sure didn't. You know, like I think... Can we even put a cap on human creativity? I don't think so. Kiedis is a stroke of genius, and maybe he knew it. If Linda is right, and it wasn't Sam, which if it was Sam, slay. But also if it wasn't Sam, also slay. It seems like somebody saw Gitas and was like, I want to set, I want to set Gitas up. Like I'm inspired by this Mm -hmm. art and want to create some art of my own. And I do think, again, if it wasn't Sam, that Linda's probably right. And there was somebody out there, one individual who, you know, at some point in time, the 80s, the 90s, who knows, saw Gitas and saw the other Land of Ta characters and decided Mm -hmm. to riff on it themselves and, like, mass-produce Gita spins. That seems to be the most likely scenario, right? I find it so interesting because I actually have a bit of a conspiracy about, (gasps) like, just, like, why this stuff is out in the wild, why we have the pins and stuff. So... I have this idea that maybe Sam Petrucci, and number one, what an accomplished artist who has so many like fascinating works under his belt. But it's clear, you know, he's designing logos, he's designing box art. He's a very like serious artist, I guess, in that capacity. Like these are like big projects. And I have to imagine that as an artist, you still like to create things. So if Gitas, let's say Gitas is just like slang around the office for like money, maybe Sam just like had a little bit of fun one day and designed what he thought Gitas might look like. I feel like this was a creative project from the mind of like a literal artist who maybe as he got into it was like, oh, this could be an interesting IP. This could be a cool intellectual property. And maybe, just maybe, he was testing out merch. Maybe he made a small run of the pins because ultimately we say they were like quote unquote mass produced, but there's only a handful of them found. I just think that potentially this was like a soft launch of a product or a project that Sam Petrucci was working on. And maybe he had buddies who were like, oh, I want it on this. Let me design busty women of ta monsters. I think it was probably just like a cool collaborative thing. And it makes me kind of sad. We'll never really see it in fruition. You know, I agree with you. And you're so smart for that a genius in your own right as well. (laughs) No, I would say that's like the other likely scenario that he designed Gitas and Co. And then, yeah, he had buddies that were also artists who enjoyed what he was doing and like Mm -hmm. wanted to design similar things. And it was just like a fun project. I find it to be a fun project. I'm glad that Gitas is out in the wild. I too am glad that Gitas is out in the wild and perhaps a somewhat happy question mark ending to this story is that as we're talking about the Gitas pins, remember Nate who kicked this whole thing off and who bought the original Gitas pin? Yeah, it's a hyperfixation. He owns 
80, 80 Gita's pins now. 80 of them. 80. Which is also 80% of the Gita's pins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the total Gita's pin population. Love it. He's just, he's sitting on an absolute gold mine and he knows it. And I love that for him. What do you all think about Gitas and the land of Ta? Did we stumble across some crazy lost media that we'll be getting more and more information about for years to come? Perhaps we'll unearth like a Gitas TV show. That would be like my ultimate scenario. Or was this just art by a cool artist? that we have the like absolute fortune to see. Let us all over social media what you think of today's episode and what your conspiracy theory is. By using hashtag gruesome twosome, we would love to hear from you. Thank you all so much for listening. We are once again your hosts, Loie and Eleanor, also known as the Gruesome Twosome, and we have loved this deep dive into the world of internet urban legends with all of you. You can find all episodes of the podcast, Internet Urban Legends, for free, exclusively on Spotify. Don't forget to follow the podcast so we can continue bringing you a new disturbing mystery each and every week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Loeybug and at Snitchery, and support our show by following at Parcast on Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. Stay gruesome, friends. Internet Urban Legends is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler from Parcast, Slash Management, and Ed Simpson, Fanny Baudry, and Leah Sutherland from Wheelhouse DNA. Sound design by Ron Shapiro, with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. It is produced by Jonathan Ratliff, Gemma Waters, John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Chelsea Parker, and is associate produced by Gitu Meira and Tracy Levy. Research and script writing provided by Judd Bookout. And we're your hosts, Loie Lane and Eleanor Barnes, a.k.a. The Gruesome Twosome. Lack of evidence, poor police work, clever criminals. Whatever the reason, some murders remain unsolved. Every Tuesday, Unsolved Murders explores the facts of a real-life cold case. Part dramatic podcast, part old-time radio show. Join the ensemble cast of actors as they take you on an exhilarating journey through the crime scene and its ensuing investigation. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Unsolved Murders. Listen free only on Spotify.